God bless you, everyone. My name is Emanuel de la Torre. I'm your co-host uh, alongside with Nathan Sanchez, who is our other co-host. Uh, I'm drinking a Vampire Slayer with a extra pump of almond. There you go. I'm over here drinking a London Fog homemade. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Our topic for today is, is God still working or is God still there? Um, so we're going to be talking a little bit about that, of course, giving you the biblical perspective, giving you some practical tools. And Nathan and I were talking during the week about this question. We were talking about the person of God. And I think uh, a lot of times we have this kind of single lane thinking that God is just Jehovah or God is the God of Israel. But we want to elaborate a little bit more on the three persons of the Trinity so that we can really answer this question in depth and in core. So, Nathan, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, where are we going with this? Uh, who is God? Yeah, so we're, we're looking at the idea of God in relation to being active here on earth. And I think the best way to do that, like uh, Emmanuel said, is looking at who do we define God to be? And so we'll take a biblical look at the different areas in which God interacts with the world, but we have to first determine who God is in relation to the world. So I think first step is we should look at who God the Father is. So that's the attributes of God the Father. And of course, they can be found in numerous places all around the Bible. But the emphasized role that we see in the Bible is that he is the creator, kind of like we talked about last week, if you guys uh, tuned in last week, we talked about does God still create and looking at his nature as creator. But we see him as the creator of the universe and then the sustainer of the universe. So there's all this stuff that happens in the background that we don't really notice or recognize. Uh, the first being that he is sustaining everything around us. So there's the idea in theology that if God suddenly stopped interacting with the world or disappeared, the world would cease to exist because there would be nothing to hold it together. Uh, the foundational verse for that is Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Uh, the second part is looking at Jesus. And Emmanuel, I'm going to let you hit that one because I know you... You love talking about Jesus. Uh, Jesus is God in the flesh. Jesus was sent down to die on, on the cross for our sins to redeem mankind. So uh, we believe that Jesus will one day be at the right hand of the Father. Jesus is God in the flesh. Jesus was 100% God, 100% mm. uh, human. And I think that's important for us to touch on. Jesus is 100% God, 100% human. And Jesus comes and fulfills what the, what the gospel tells us in John chapter 1, verse 3. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made. So we see here that Jesus is God. Jesus is the Word. The Word becomes flesh. And then Jesus spends 30, 35 years on earth uh, in his ministry, healing the sick, raising the dead, uh, liberating hum uh, humans of demons, and then Jesus is crucified, resurrects on the third day for the atonement of our sins, and then returns to the Father. Yeah, and I think one of the important things to note is that when we are reading John 1, 1 through 3, we're not reading it in the lens of Jesus became God at some point, or Jesus was made as into God. Um, I had a conversation with a few Mormons 
last week, and that was one of the focal points that we had was the difference in John one of God or Jesus always being God, as opposed to their belief that Jesus was a man who earned Godhood, who was made, who was created. And so their translation of John, John 1, 1 is a lot different than ours. And if I can intercept, there's a scripture in John where Jesus himself says, I and the Father are one. So it's, yeah. it's continuing this idea that Jesus is God. He's not a creation of God. He is God. Yeah, and they would take that as, well, he's talking about God or the Father and Jesus being one in purpose, not necessarily in essence or being. Whereas the Christians believe that Jesus is one with God in essence and being. He is the same God before, now, after. It's also good to look at the Holy Spirit and looking at, well, how does the Holy Spirit play a role in terms of the Godhead of Christianity? And if you guys don't know what we're talking about, um, we don't believe in three different gods. That's something that I want to emphasize. We're talking about three different persons or I want to say unique attributes or aspects of God, but it's all the same being, the same essence. They're what we would say is the same substance. Um, And so the Holy Spirit's attributes, they're often described in the New Testament. Uh, You have John 14, 16 through 17, where Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit. and says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth. And I mean, that points to the book of Acts, where we see constantly throughout the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit intervening in human history and time. Uh, What are some other? Oh, yeah. Yeah. To continue this idea of Jesus being from the beginning, the Holy Spirit has also been there from the beginning. And the Holy Spirit, as you're mentioning, is is part of God. So Genesis chapter one, if you continue reading, it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and the darkness was over the face of the deep. Verse 2 continues and says, And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. So while the Holy Spirit or the idea of the Holy Spirit is more prominent in the New Testament, the authors are more reflective of it, the Holy Spirit was already there from the beginning, and it appears throughout the Old Testament. It's just we begin to, in terms of doctrine, in terms of theology, begin to understand a little bit more in the New Testament. Oh, yeah. And you see plenty of cases in the Old Testament where I'll have conversations with people and they say, well, the Holy Spirit's only around in the New Testament. Well, it's not true. You see in the Old Testament, uh, God's Spirit being the one who enables uh, the builders to build the tabernacle. It says that he, you know, comes upon them. And so you also see that the prophets, they would have the Spirit of God enter them and they'd be able to prophesy. So there's numerous instances within the old testament where the holy spirit can be seen as Adam. yeah i i love isaiah where he says that and the spirit of the lord is upon me has anointed me yeah. to preach um and oh, yeah. of course this is isaiah and at the moment where isaiah is filled with the holy spirit and he begins to prophesy he begins to prophesy on the return uh, on the coming of the jesus christ or the coming of the messiah yeah um there's plenty of instances especially when we're looking at that same spirit that fills Isaiah, fills Elijah, and then there's prophecy pointing to another Elijah that's going to come. And that's fulfilled by John 
the Baptist, right? At the beginning of the New Testament, he's seen in the wilderness proclaiming, prepare the ways of the Lord, make straight the paths. And he's preaching baptism for repentance. And that's coming from having the Spirit of God on him to be able to prophesy. Also, he talks about, you know, the one who will come after him. And he talks about, I'm going back to the Father, but the Father is going to send someone in my place. And that's something that we start thinking about. Okay, when we're looking at God's interaction in the world, in human history, how do we identify God? I, I want to mention something that was mentioned in the uh, Facebook chat. It says, then God said, let us make man in our image. Uh, just continue in this concept yeah. of the Trinity existing um, prior to, you know, Jesus being on earth or uh, the Holy Spirit being mentioned in the book of Acts. And, and we're contextualizing this. We're using these topics to allow us to understand now that you there's there's an absence of God in in terms of in from the Old Testament to the New Testament. Um, can you mention a little bit of God doesn't speak anymore? What's what's going on? Um, because th- we're getting to the root of our question now, which is 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 God still there? Is God still active? So can you uh, just um, explain a little bit of what that silence is? What's going on? Yeah, so before I talk about the silence, I do want to preface by having us understand God's relationship to time. Um, that's something that we we don't often think about. We think that God is in sync with time, or he's bound by time, or constricted by time. So we get a year older, God gets a year older. We follow through the 24-hour cycle in life, and God also follows through the 24-hour cycle in life. But all of that's not really how God interacts with time. So God is portrayed in the Bible as being outside of time. If we look back Genesis 1-1, right, in the beginning, God. So before there was, there was God. Before a beginning, God existed. And then you'll see that in Revelation as well. At the end, God is still around. But we also see in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 8, it says this, But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. And so we see this relationship with God in time that is outside of the confounds, confines of time. We don't actually interact with time the same way God does. So we are constricted to getting older, to our bodies uh, deteriorating, to you know things growing and things dying. God is not. And so when we're looking at um, this concept of it, is God still around? We have to say, okay, if a thousand years is like one day to God, a 400-year period is not that long. Um, but we also have to see that, uh, that there was prophetic voices right before that time that said, hey, start looking for this. And so it wasn't a a period of silence per se. It was a period where there was no new revelation, right? We're talking about no new prophetic voices coming out, but it's because God was doing something different. He was doing something unique, something that he had, as the Bible says, predestined from the foundation of the world. And that was to send Jesus, his son, in order to die on a cross to bring yeah. salvation to all of humanity. 
And I, and I think something that we misunderstand as students of the Bible is that the Bible is God's plan for salvation for mankind. Just because he's not communicating to his people doesn't mean that he's not developing this plan. And of course, yeah. this plan is going to take in diff different forms. In this case, in the, in the introduction of the New Testament, we have the, the birth of Jesus Christ who continues this story. So it's it's God it's the Father continuing his plan of salvation through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is active in the New Testament in the, the gospels and he himself says I will not be with you longer but I'm going to send a counselor which is the Holy Spirit to con and it's it's like they're handing off the baton in the story of salvation for us. Oh yeah. And I mean, that goes back to like what I said earlier, where there's prophets to say there will be a new Elijah, right? And they're, so they're already pointing at the beginning of this 400-year silence to something that God is going to be doing. And that's fulfilled with John the Baptist, like I said. He's proclaiming Jesus, repentance, make way for, you know, make straight the path for the Lord. Jesus comes on scene. And now that's God himself coming to earth engaging in human history in one of the most tangible ways that anyone could think of. And so, like you said, you have the Holy Spirit who's now taking Jesus's place here on earth, not necessarily that Jesus isn't one with the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit isn't one with him, but we understand the Holy Spirit as being the active person of God here on earth. And so it describes the Holy Spirit as a counselor, for wisdom, and for all these other things that he does with us. But that leads us to the next question is, if God is no longer active in the world, at what point did he stop being active? Was it at the beginning of creation? Did he create everything and then not engage ever again? Was it during that 400-year period between the Old Testament and the New Testament where he was silent where there was new, no new prophetic revelation. Was it after Jesus rose again? Was it at the end of the book of Acts? At, at what point does God stop interacting with humanity? Um, so to explore what God might have, might have stopped looking or interacting, we have to really look at when he did interact with humanity. So we look at, obviously, one of the big ones, Abraham. Right where God physically talks to Abraham and tells him, you know, pack up your bags, pack up your family, and go to a new land that I'm going to send you. And so we see there's a, a tangible interacting of God with humans at that point. So we see, okay, at that point in time, God's still interacting with people. We look at Exodus, where God partners with Moses, frees the Israelites from slavery, parts of the Red Sea, I mean, that's a big act, gets them across and then is interacting with people there. In the New Testament, we have God engaging, of course. Uh, you're mentioning John the Baptist, right? Uh, you've mentioned Jesus. We've talked about Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Uh, God in the form of Jesus is engaging through humanity through his everyday ministry. Uh, the, the healings, the signs, the wonders, uh, the the ultimate sacrifice and the ultimate demonstration of his power, death and resurrection. Uh, and then after Jesus, we have the Holy Spirit. So God is 
working in the form of the Holy Spirit through the believers in the book of Acts. Uh, the continuation of the signs, the wonders, uh, the continuation of the gift of salvation uh, through the conversion of the first the Jews, then the Gentiles. And then, of course, we see glimpses of the future through the book of Revelation. Um, and that actually leads me to my, my question, and it's more of a just a, a practical, more contemporary question. Is what you're telling us, is this conversation that we're having a reminder that God is working, but he has chosen his church to, to be the stewards of his power, his grace, and the attributes that you mentioned at the beginning? Uh, I fully believe that. Uh, that that goes into if we're looking at okay if if we're asking the question is God still active in the world at what point are we satisfied with activity or what activity meets that criteria of God interacting with the world because if we're looking at it the Bible is full of huge events or displays of power by God and that's mostly in the Old Testament in the New Testament we see the resurrection of Christ, but we also see numerous healings, restorations, and a bunch of other things, casting out demons, where these are signs, and the Jews even say that they're signs of God interacting with humanity. But another thing is, is we, we tend to think of hearing God as a sign of God's activity here on earth. And so we have a few criteria that we as humans like to hear or see or process in order to understand, okay, God is still here, right? It's the the big question when you're praying of God, speak to me. I want to know that you're real. Show me a sign. Do this. And so when we see signs, we, we can verify that God's still around. And I think the church has a unique role in partnering with God in displaying these signs of hearing the voice of God, discerning it, and then speaking it, and also of really just utilizing the methods in which God has allowed for us to hear him speak, which is the word of God, the Bible. Uh, we say that the Bible is alive. Yeah, I like, I like that old story that we often hear in churches where um, it talks about this woman who's a beggar. She's asking God for for food, she's asking God just for that daily bread. And her neighbor is like hearing her prayers and he's scoffing at her, like, ha ha ha, God is not God is not real. He's he's like an atheist or something. God is not real. He's not gonna provide for you. And then she's like praying every single day, God, just I, I need food. And then one day the atheist, this the neighbor says, You know what? Um, I'm going to to buy this lady food, thinking for her to think that God is real. Um, and he buys her food. And takes it to her. He's joking around. Um, and the lady says, oh, my goodness, thank you, Jesus, for providing. Um, so it's, I, I, I think you're, we're going somewhere where God uses different resources. God uses different methods. He uses us as humanity to demonstrate his power. Because ultimately, the Holy Spirit, besides counseling us, was also given to empower us. And to empower the local church to fulfill the mission, which is to preach the gospel and yeah. the disciples and bear witness. Oh, yeah, that's Acts 1-8, right? Um, Correct. It says that the Holy Spirit will empower us to be witnesses, right? To be, in the Greek, martyrs, martyros, or however you want to pronounce it. So there, there's a, a unique purpose for the church. And so we see that God still interacts with humanity through 
the church's ministry through prayer, through worship, through the presence of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus has a promise, right? In Matthew 28, 20, he says, And behold, I will always, I am always with you to the end of the age. And the emphasis of his going on presence in the world is through his promise of he will be with us and he will send us a helper. And so the Holy Spirit partners with the church for us to be able to go out now and to demonstrate God's active presence here on the earth. Right. Like I said, through the ministry of the church, that's kind of like that story with the old lady where we're utilized as God's hand and feet, hands and feet to be able to go and outreach to the community, to be able to help support people, to lift people up. And that goes back to the question of, well, if God's still active in the world, why does he let bad things happen? Why is there hunger going around the world? Why is there murders? Why are there people who commit genocide and all these other big questions, but we see that God has uniquely purposed us to be able to partner with him in counteracting those things. I'm thinking about this where a lot of times we ask, because we see evil in the world, we ask, is God still active? Is God still there? But the questions don't really correlate with each other. I mean, evil and wickedness was, was on earth during the times of Noah and God demonstrated his power there. So, oh, yeah. Because because there's evil, it doesn't disqualify the fact that there's a God. It doesn't disqualify that God is still active. Um, if anything, it, it, the scriptures tell us, and, and I may be taking it out of its context, the scriptures tell us that his power is perfected in our weakness. And we see the power of God through our weaknesses as humans being perfected. Yeah, well, we see that there is a empowerment for us as Christians to to really counteract a lot of this bad that goes on in the world. And I think one thing that we need to note that we don't often think about is what's our worldview? How do we see the world around us? And I know a lot of times we think of the world as this progression to goodness, where people are in a place where they are slowly progressing to get better and better, and that's the goal of humanity, is this progress to goodness. But in reality, the Bible says that none are righteous, no, not one. Jesus says no one is good but the Father. And so our Christian worldview should be to understand the world as a fallen place, where if God were to stop allowing evil, he would stop allowing humans to exist. I mean, that's something that we should process through, is evil exists because humans are fallen. Evil exists because we've sinned and we separate ourselves from God and we choose to do evil, right? That that falls back into the question of, of free will. And does God allow us to make choices? Does he allow us to make these decisions where we can go around and decide to do evil? But what the Holy Spirit does, and this is where Paul kind of talks about my his power is displayed in my weakness is that in our weakness in our struggles with wickedness with sin with evil is we can be empowered by the holy spirit to counteract the evil in the world right we can utilize the counsel the wisdom the strength the empowerment of the holy spirit to be able to fight against the evil that's in the world around us and if there's hunger going around the world, then we have been 
gifted the Holy Spirit in order to utilize our giftings to counteract that. There's so many ministries around the world who dedicate themselves to fighting world hunger, who dedicate themselves to fighting um, all these different issues. And we as Christians can take part in that, empowered by the Holy Spirit. And I, and I think it's very personal, um, as you're mentioning, right? The Holy Spirit counseling us, the Holy Spirit convicting yeah. us. It's very personal where God wants to perfect himself in us, where he wants to demonstrate himself through us, where he wants to partner with us, when he, where he wants to reveal to us our lack or our disabilities or emotional disabilities or spiritual disabilities, um, change those, transform those, so that we can go out and do the work of the church, the work that we were assigned that we mentioned earlier. So yeah, um, exactly. in terms of the wickedness around the world, I would ask myself, when am I being wicked? And when am I being wicked? Am I being wicked uh, you know, in the morning when I, st- when I decide to do something rather than to honor God? Am I being wicked when I'm at the grocery store and somebody passes by me and I'm staring at them? Am I being wicked when I'm not demonstrating the love of Jesus? Am I being, you know? And a lot of times we want to to eradicate the wickedness around us, but we don't reflect on the wickedness within us. Yeah, and that's one thing, right? There's the, I'm a sinner saved by grace, right? I'm still a sinner. I sin, but in Christ, my identity is no longer sinner. It is now a saint, but I still sin. I still struggle with temptation. I still struggle with, you know, evil thoughts and wickedness. But the Holy Spirit gives us the strength to be able to walk through that, right? The Bible says in Psalms or in Proverbs, the wicked or the the righteous man falls down, but he gets up seven times. And so there's this equipping of the Holy Spirit in order to strengthen us to walk through our our everyday lives. Um, One of the other things that we see is we ask a lot, why does God allow evil in the world? Or why does he allow this issue or that issue? But he's put us here in this world as Christians to be the ones who fight against that, to partner with him in bringing justice to those things. But we also see a promise at the end of the culmination of history. And what do you think that promise is, Emmanuel? The promise of salvation, the promise to one day be with him in paradise. Yeah. Right. At the end of time, he, he promises a restoration of all things. He promises to make every wrong right, to bring ultimate justice to everything in the world around us. And so there is a, a hope that comes in Jesus, a hope that all of the evil, all of the wrongs in the world will one day be made right, and that's through God and God alone, who is the only one who can judge the things in this world. Nathan, I think the question and the answer is very simple. Is God still there? Um, yes, God is still there. When when we come to repentance, Jesus is still there to forgive us. When, mm-hmm. when we're dealing with difficult circumstances, God is there to guide us and to direct us. Oh, yeah. um, and I'm grateful that he's still there. I'm grateful that he hasn't shunned away from us because um, society and the world would be so much worse if we didn't experience his mercy and favor each day. Oh yeah. I would say that he's very active in the world. I mean, just look at 
people all over the Christian community, people are still hearing from God. People are still seeing healings and miracles happen all around the world. And while we may not see them as much here in America, they're seen everywhere. And you just have to know where to look and how to to talk to people. I mean, that's a big thing. If you're struggling with with knowing if God is still active or if he's still speaking to people, I would just talk to people. How has God been speaking to you this week? And that's a great question to start a conversation to see. Okay, God is uniquely working in this person's life. God's uniquely working in that person's life. And it'll encourage you to see how God is working in your life. Statistics show that believers, uh, specifically uh, Christians, live longer than most people. And I think it's because of that know- that knowledge that God is with me. Guys, thank you so much for joining in with us. We really appreciate it. Uh, we'll be doing this, like we said, every week, Wednesday, 10 a.m.